You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review. And we are about to commence a brand new week, Monday afternoon, December 3rd. A brand new month and a brand new dawn. Look, I'm not going to sit and play games with you and, and hide this from you. You know, if I were cruel and I wanted to play a trick on you, I'd go back, go straight to the content of the show and then uh, <laughs> keep you guys in suspense and, and have this hanging until later. But I'm sure all of you have seen the news by now about the big merger, not just between Aetna and CVS, but between CRTV, which stands for Conservative Review TV, and the Blaze Network, the broader Blaze Network, all to merge into one mega conservative network of Blaze Media. Um, I know a lot of questions are swirling in your minds. A lot of you are, some of you are excited. Some of you you have concerns. And I mainly want to speak to to those of you today who have concerns, um, just to understand the basis of what's going on here. So first of all, just before anything, just some ground rules here. I am not involved in any of the corporate management, the business side. Uh, when we started out as a very small, intimate group of people, obviously, I knew a lot more of what was going on. But at some point, I made a decision that I would deal with the politics, meaning not the politics of the organization, the politics of the country, um, really just consuming my whole being with policy and a vision and the Constitution and legislation, everything we should and shouldn't be doing. And that's more than a full-time job. And there's no reservoir of strength left for me to begin just focusing on on many other stuff. And there's just nothing there. So I'm not up on everything going on. And, you know, I didn't know about this for too long. And there's still, you know, a lot of questions I have, not questions meaning with a negative connotation, but just things that are still very fluid. So to begin with, I am going to be speaking very much from a personal standpoint. Um, not that this is the official statement of CRTV, of The Blaze, which you have read. Uh, you know, in the, first in the Hollywood Reporter ar- article, and then there were several others that came out going all over the media. Um, just first, to, to begin with one very important po- point, which is probably the central point here. Usually to most people, the name says everything. And when you look at the name, that usually connotes where the direction is heading. Well, is this CVS or is this Aetna? Um, who bought out whom? I mean, who's the big dog here? And some of you might be thinking, well, it says Blaze Media now. So the, didn't the, doesn't that mean the Blaze bought out CRTV? And, well, what's the Blaze? The Blaze is Glenn Beck. So, hey, Daniel, do you work for Glenn Beck now? 
Um, and that might be a positive to those who like him, a negative to those who don't, and somewhere in between to those that don't have much of a view of him or you know, are kind of uh, uh, okay with him. That is not the case here. Um, if anything, I'll just tell you very bluntly, at least my read of it, is that this was more the other way around. Um, I mean, in a, look, it, it's quite transparent if you look at the trajectory of both organizations – um, which one was the one that was more on an upward trajectory. So, you know, it's it's very clear that the independence that I've had until now that has allowed me to speak the truth and not care about alienating other people in the so-called conservative movement, um, calling the balls and strikes on the Republican Party, calling the balls and strikes on the president, on the people around him, on his family members, that has not changed at all. The only thing that has changed is that today, those of you who are pulling your hair out and saying, man, Daniel, doesn't anyone hear this? Doesn't anyone say this? Doesn't anyone know this? I wish more people could could see this information, could hear this information, could hear the panoply of issues that we talk about, the way we talk about them, the, the, the specificity to which we, we apply to the issues. We will now have a much bigger platform to do that. It's only a potential positive with no potential drawbacks to anything we do. So that is the important thing to know here, that this was a case where we have a very robust network, the fastest growing, most successful conservative network, CRTV, that saw the blaze that, you know, there are certain aspects that were stagnating, but at the end of the day, they have a longstanding name, much longer than CRTV, much more ubiquitous of a name identification among your average, you know, let's say conservative audience, they have access to satellite, access to cable. And they still have a website that is, it's very different from conservativereview.com, theblaze.com. And it is more, you know, clicky, more kind of current stuff going on, designed to get, you know, less influence over legislation and, and you know, kind of our, our beat here, the conservative conscience to serve as the conscience, the uh, what John Roberts erroneously thinks is the job of the courts. Uh, it's, it's kind of what we, we try to do here, calling the balls and the strikes of what is conservatism, what we should and shouldn't be doing. It's more philosophical, but also very specific about the issues going on. Um, it's different. But they, they, they have a lot of they have a big they still have a big audience. We had a growing subscriber base. So it was kind of a match made in heaven. Um, people coming together, you know, there aren't a lot of resources around, there aren't a lot of conservatives around. There are very few people doing what we do. We need to hang together or we'll hang separately, as Ben Franklin quipped during the Revolutionary War. This is a way this is a really a force multiplier it's a merger but i'm just trying i'm not trying to put anyone down because they certainly have a lot to offer which is why it was mutually beneficial i'm just saying it's very clear you know you don't have to believe me or think i'm bsing you it's very clear who is the main investor and the main investor which is at its core the reason why i could stand on a platform above the arrows and slings of anyone else and not have to worry about towing a line, that is still in place. Um, the media that reported on this got it wrong, 
and, and it's understandable. They, you know, a lot of times networks are have a certain notoriety by the most famous figure or personality among the individuals that put out programming. So they're like, well, what's CRTV? Well, that's Mark Levin. And that's not true. Um, it's not, it's not synonymous with Mark Levin. He's not even on the management level. He's just one of the personalities in the eyes of, of probably the most number of conservatives. He's probably the most famous one. Um, but that's what he is. It's just another show. Just like you have, Eric Bowling, you have Michelle Malkin, you have um, anyone else. You have John Mil- Miller, our White House correspondent. You have um, uh, Nate Madden, our, our Capitol Hill correspondent. All under the auspices of, of conservative CRTV, you just have Mark Levin. Albeit Mark, obviously, is a lot w- more well-known than John and, and Nate, as well as being more well-known than I am. So they defined it by Mark Levin and then they defined the blaze by Glenn Beck. Oh, so Glenn Beck and Mark Levin got together. Now the, the latter part is more accurate that until now for most of its history, the blaze was more identifying. It was controlled by a uh, Glenn Beck. It's not just that he was the most notorious, well-known uh, talent personality. He was also the CEO of the organization. That is not, what is happening here to be clear that is not what's happening um what's happening is that you will now have a joint organization called blaze media and only because it's a pragmatic move on the part of crtv management that whether you like it or not that name has more, and I'm sure they've done their due diligence and marketing on this. It's beyond my pay grade, beyond the scope of what I do, but I'm sure they've done all that work to to prove that it would be mutually beneficial to have more the Blaze name. Um, and it is now being run by Tyler Cardone, who is a uh, um, former, I guess, president under Glenn Beck, president of the Blaze uh, Network. And Gaston Mooney, my longtime friend and co-founder of Conservative Review, and then when it was you know CRTV, um, they will be co-presidents. Gaston Mooney, Mooney Tyler Cardone, um, Gaston again, a friend of mine. He worked for Jim Demint, the Senate Steering Committee. He was a political guy like me, but you know we kind of when we started this, he took on the business aspect. I became the main name at the website conservativereview.com then obviously we had crtv we brought on mark levin and then so many so many other people and it's become so much bigger um so that's where where it is now it's blaze media which is essentially crtv with a bigger audience getting all the people that we know agree with us we know find resonance in our message but maybe haven't found us yet now they're going to find us and it's mutually beneficial to both, and it's it's a perfect merger. That that's what it is. But what I'm telling you, it's certainly certainly not the Blaze buying out CRTV. That is certainly not the case. Um, and again, not that I'm being negative on that. If it would be the case, I'm just I'm just telling you for those of you that I know you're going to be concerned if you like this program. Um, what it will do is allow this program to reach a much broader audience without watering it down one iota. And you know, it's been made very clear: nobody wants me to change anything I'm doing um, for, from all angles. So I'm very, very thankful 
for that. This is only good, you know, how, however good we all make it, but it's certainly no downside. And it's also just important to realize that particularly those of you, and I know a lot of you are fans of different people. You, have, you know, Steve Dace obviously was the, was the canary in the coal mine here. Steve Dace, if you remember, was the first guy um, who started this joint partnership. It started with him. That was kind of the first show where he was a joint CRTV Blaze employee as of a couple months ago. So this is really just... Uh, um, it, 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 it really just... Is is the culmination of of what was going on for a long time, and and you know again this is just me shooting from the hip here. I would venture to say, over time, I wouldn't be surprised if we see even more you know acquisitions. Um, this is this is a sign of success, not weakness. Um, much like <laughs> much to my chagrin, all the mergers and acquisitions in the healthcare cartel dumpster fire. Um, are unfortunately signs of strength for their monopolies. Um, this is a sign of strength, um, as you well know. And and that's the thing, you know. You know, some of you might say, well, you know, with independence, you want kind of maybe a smaller thing. But at the end of the day, you've got to get on the map. And um, again, this is me speaking for myself here. I'm not trying to put words in anyone's mouth. Just to be clear, it's not like a bunch of people got around in our boardroom and said, all right. Here's our 10-year plan to go to the moon and going to the moon equivalent in this business is taking on Fox News and eventually supplanting that. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying anyone has said that. I, I have no knowledge they've said that. I am saying that if you want to see someone break the monopoly of Fox on conservative media, conservative thought, you know, and the vicious cycle, the degenerative cycle that it creates. And again, I'm speaking for myself only. You know my view on Fox News, and I'm unabashed about it. I'm not going to change that. Uh, I, I think, um, if anything, if anything, it it makes this stronger um, because you need to really coalesce as many audiences and resources and platforms to take them on. Um, and I think that's another ancillary benefit of this whole thing. And and just so you know, when you're looking at the structure of the organization, more than anyone else, my vertical here and what I do is really the least affected. Because if you kind of look at two wings, two um, entities merging together, so you have you know, picture a semi-detached house. So you have the glue, the glue, the mortar where they come together, but then you have the two wings, like the external parts where they're not touching each other, where they're kind of separate. And it, it certainly as of now, it, it's the TV network that's merging. I was always the senior editor of Conservative Review, the original thing, and that's the website, the written content, as well as this podcast. I go on the TV shows. I, you know, we all work together, but... Um, I don't do TV that much. That is the main thing that's going to be working together. And again, I'm not being negative. I think it's a positive. I'm just saying for any of you concerned that, oh, is, are there going to be changes? Am I going to have anyone, you know, kind of uh, attenuating the value of what I do, the uh, intrepid purity of what we do? Uh, that is not going to change at all because you're still going to have our written content as conservativereview.com. So in other words, even though, Ironically, CRTV as a name is not going to exist. Conservative Review is still going to exist, as well as TheBlaze.com as its own kind of written content doing their own thing. Um, that is going to 
continue because there's no reason why both respective vehicles should not continue. Um, it's just that this show will reach bigger and better heights, God willing. And that's the thing. I mean, you could, you could email me at dhorowitz.crtv.com if you have any concerns, any comments, any questions. Um, as well as I, I appreciate a lot of you recently really kind of giving me advice or, you know, say, hey, let's add some video to this. Let me know what you think. I mean, you know my view. I'm not a big fan of video. I don't think as well with video. I get self-conscious because I have a face for radio. Um, you know, it just it's a different experience for me. But if it's if it's something that a lot of you feel strongly about and you feel that it will go further, if we add a video component in some ways, let me know if you have unique ideas because it has been discussed um, internally. And, you know, that's, that's what it is. Uh, so I, I'm just telling you, like, you know I don't BS you on issues, so I'm not going to BS you on this either. That somehow I'm upset about it or, you know, I'm just trying to put on a brave face. Um, I'm actually very excited. Now, I'm not going to be, be like, oh, man, this is the, the gateway to heaven. We don't know. This is what we all make of it. But I'm saying what it's not, what it for sure is not, is there's no downside to it. There literally was no downside. Um, just like there's certainly no downside in Aetna merging with CVS other than to the consumer. Um, but in this case, I would say the conserva- consumer being the conservatives, it's it's an advantage to them, albeit um, albeit uh, the the consumer it will hurt is those that don't that that are hurt by a monopoly, which might be you know some of the other ones that aren't as good that we don't we don't like um you know and it's funny because we're going to get to this in a minute we're going to start out with this because this issue defines the honesty of what we do the detail the philosophy all tied up into one the jailbreak issue some of you might have noticed glenn beck um you know has signed on to this jailbreak movement um, you know, it's no secret that he is a very devout LDS member, and the LDS Church is very, very, very strongly behind this, which really animates Mike Lee's support. Um, you're going to have issues where you disagree on here and there, but I, I think you guys already see that. I don't need to hide it from you that even with CRTV as it exists without merging with anyone else, you're going to have relative diversity on a couple things here and there, but I think you have to step back and look broadly. We are pretty monolithic. If you compare it to almost anything, I mean, you look at some of these platforms, the Federalists and NRO, where it's just like one second, they'll have this thing and then they'll have the opposing view. It's just, it's just one collection of, it's pretty tightly wrapped that, you know, not everyone's going to have the focus I have, but that's, you know, that's part of what it is to have a network. I mean, we're joking around, which I I think shouldn't be much of a joke. Uh, My buddy, Nate Madden, who's uh the capitol hill correspondent you know he he was uh joking around you know when am i going to get my home improvement show because he has a side business where he does uh handyman work and i'm like that's a really good idea <laughs> you know why not so i mean you're gonna have people that focus on other things phil robertson in the woods is obviously going to be a very different show than what we do here um but very little conflicts you're going to have an issue that comes up from time to time where it's like that. But what I'm telling you is it's not – nothing about this is going to make it worse. Um, and certainly certainly, it's not going to silence my voice here and the audience that we've 
um, gathered. I think if anything, it's just going to enlighten more people to the good work and the quite unique work that you're not going to find elsewhere. Um, and what we kind of built together with our interaction here, and we're going to continue that. So with that behind us, I spoke about internal affairs way too long. I hate doing that because I just want to get to the issues. There's so much going on. We're, we're, we're starting a week here, starting a week where really this the biggest news should be we have a budget deadline on Friday. We have stolen sovereignty of a nation. Literally over the weekend, 200 illegals apprehended just in the Rio Grande sector. You do the math. Remember the equation. Roughly 50% are caught, 50% aren't caught. That means 400 in one day in one sector. There's nine border sectors. You do the math there. That's that's not 1,000 a day. That's several thousand a day. Multiply that by 365. That means you're on pace for a million people. Call it a caravan a day. So aside from the fact that we have this caravan and they're still kind of at least processing a few of them, which they shouldn't be, we still have the caravan a day all because of our broken, not resources and money, but policies. Unfortunately, obviously with the death of George H.W. Bush, you know, it's, we all mourn as a nation as, as much as obviously conservatives never appreciated the Bush family politics. But, you know, there's something just about George and Barbara Bush that, you know, were just defined America for so long. Um, just culturally, obviously, World War II hero, uh, certainly we all grieve with that. And obviously the media is going to use his death as a way of, of, of saying, oh, this is what Republicans should be. Whereas, you know, it's funny, if the, the, when, when the time comes when, when Bill Clinton dies, you're never going to find them bringing up all of his quotes from illegal immigration, the era of big government is over with, and how, look, look at how far Democrats have, have come from that day. They're never going to say that. But anyway, I, I knew the minute he died that they were going to use this as the perfect out. We all knew they were going to cave. So now they're floating a two-week CR. And, you know, give me a break. You do the math. You add December 9th to um, plus two weeks. What does that get you? Right before Christmas. There's no way they're going to have a fight right before Christmas if you don't have it now. And that is the road to Cave City. And they're just saying, well, we need to mourn over George Bush so we can. Uh, so we're going to just have a, a CR and continue the current policies without addressing the true government shutdown. So that's the latest on that. And Trump has already said he agrees to that. And like we told you before, even before that, they were already agreeing to add H2B visa riders, but they weren't putting our riders on sanctuaries, on asylum, on UACs, on judicial reform. The best was some sort of scuffle over a few billion dollars in border wall funding, which if you've listened to the show the last couple of months, you know it's better than nothing, but it's not fundamentally what's causing the current stolen sovereignty. You know, Just last week, you had... um a major MS-13 murder on the loose in Massachusetts. If we have time, we'll talk about it at the end of the show. 
This guy should have been deported. His deportation was blocked by a judge. That's got to be dealt with. The border wall is not going to stop that. The border wall can't stop the suicide of a nation. Meaning, the border wall, what it's always represented from Mongolia, I mean from China, the Great, Great Wall of China, to any other wall, is that we are committed to fighting for our border. We recognize our border. We recognize our sovereignty. The wall is a tool to defend that. But if you subvert your own sovereignty and you don't believe in a border, albeit you put up a wall, but then invite them in and give them all sorts of rights and access to the courts, well, you're done. Again, as we noted, they come in through the ports of entry and the cartels help them get over the wall. It takes longer. It's slower. Not as many types could come over. But remember, it's the strong military-aged men that are the biggest problems, and they're the ones that will most likely get over it. Now, don't get me wrong. A border wall works if you have border patrol agents that will immediately apprehend them and kick them back and take their name and their fingerprints and ensure that they can never come here legally ever. One strike and you're out. Believe me, they wouldn't do it because they don't want to get caught. But if they want to get caught because we're going to give them, you know, water and help and then bring them. Now, not that if someone's dying, we shouldn't give them help. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying and then take them back and process them and catch and release. Well, then they're going to climb over the wall and not just not care about being caught. They're going to not they're going to explicitly want to surrender themselves. That's what they're doing. Even over that double-layered Yuma fence. It's happening in the Yuma sector now. So um, that's what's happening with that. Maybe if we have time, we'll get back to it. But I want to get to jailbreak. What are we talking about today? What's the theme today? The fine print. The fine print we all forget in politics. Just like you have to look at the fine print on this merger. Not to be you know misled and think, oh... Conservative CRTV is somehow taken out, including Conservative Review, is somehow now controlled by any particular show host. Just like with immigration, you got to look at the fine print. What is in the law and what's not? What policies are causing things? That's what we do here, and that's what we're going to continue doing. And nowhere is this more evident than with the entire philosophy and the specific legislation, this First Step Act, being promoted by jailbreak. So I have an article out today we'll link to in our notes. And I'm really going to have two articles coming in. I'm not sure if the second one's going to come out in time. But this one really depicts the poster child of who is in the federal prison system that we've been talking about for years already. We have a Chicago crisis in this country. The endless gang violence that's really responsible for a lot of the murder, robberies, assault, racketeering as well. And then all mixed into the second crisis, the growing drug crisis that is peddling a greater abundance of the most deadly substances in the cheapest forms ever that are just killing off so many people. Everyone agrees to that. And they're passing numerous bills dealing with nanny state addiction programs, pressuring doctors and insurers not to cover, provide, prescribe uh, legitimate pain medications. Everyone agrees it's a problem. They're misfiring on it. 
And then there's the nexus of this all very much being nourished and fueled by open borders and these transnational gangs and cartels very much at a primary level driving a lot of this. It's those people that are being swept up in the drug laws of the mandatories now. It's those people that will be the biggest beneficiaries of the reduction both in sentencing and the early release programs at the back end, collectively lopping off half of a sentence. I wanted to show you guys this because I see this every day and I just picked this one to write about, but this is because you're seeing on the front end. The feds don't prosecute a schlepper in the street caught with some drugs or even a low-level dealer. They, they just don't do that. They don't have the resources. We have the worst drug crisis ever, so if they did that, they'd be locking up everyone. Um, that, that's not what they're going after in the federal system. The federal system serves as a backstop that they use the drugs because the drugs are often the honeypot. We, we talked about last week the honeypot of you know terrorism. So that was one angle, but domestically, it's also the honeypot of a lot of the violence and murder and mayhem that's occurring in places like Chicago. And there's a case that perfectly embodies this. And that is this guy, Chico. Sergio Robles wrote about him today. This is a guy, Northern District of Indiana, just landed a conviction on him. You'll read a Chicago Tribune article I linked to, gang member tied to two murders, sentenced to 27 years. Now you read that and you think, well, your first question will be, two murders, I mean, why didn't he get life? Why Heck, why didn't he get the death penalty? Well, obviously, when you read the case, he wasn't actually convicted of the murders, he was convicted on RICO, so racketeering charges, and drug trafficking, and not even that heavy drug trafficking relative to what you usually see in the federal system. So now let me flip it the other way. If you just looked at his conviction and say, well, ah, 27 years, I mean, come on. I mean, this is kind of, you know, this is Daniel. This is the problem we have, and we're locking up too many people for drugs too long. But the reality is you read his the what the judge said and it's they know the guy was a top so here's another detail he was a top level latin kings guy this was part of a bust of 21 convictions against latin kings members now if you're not familiar with the latin kings as you are with ms13 and latina nations and um texas tango there's a whole bunch of these groups that they operate in chicago and its environs but they're also in Texas. And the Texas Department of Public Safety in their 2017 annual threat assessment, they wrote that they are a tier one threat on par with MS-13 in terms of violence and the drug crisis. So this guy has all the elements. He's a top gangbanger. It's mainly a transnational one. Now, this guy himself might have been a citizen. I'm not sure. But again, they're fueled by a lot of their membership is fueled by the open borders, by legal immigration. Murder, mayhem, violence in Chicago, and drug trafficking. It ties it all together. But these are the guys that if you would come a year from now and not know anything about the press release 
on the conviction, be like, what the heck, sure is a, uh, you know, 150 kilos of cocaine, oh, I don't care, uh, 100, it's 1,000 kilos of marijuana, um, why is he there for 27 years? And then this guy would be, you know, having press releases, uh, press uh, conferences with Snoop Dogg and Mike Lee saying how we're locking up to, to people for too long. But folks, I'm here to tell you that this guy is not the exception. This guy is the rule of what we have in federal prison. This guy is the embodiment of why, because of the Reagan-era drug laws and the federal prosecution system serving as a backstop, seeing in the localities and the states, working with the police, knowing based on the intel that these are the force-multiplying people. These are the people, the 10% causing the 90% of the problems, the people causing the murder, mayhem, robbery, rape, assault are the ones doing the drug trafficking as well. But because there's a thousand ways that defense attorneys could get them out of murder convictions, they plead down, and they often only hit them on drug trafficking. That's why you have the mandatories. If it's a guy that's just drug trafficking, they're, they're going to give them the safety valve. And even when they don't, they're, they're not going to stack the sentences on top of each other, they're going to serve them concurrently. So if you did some racketeering, some other you know, uh, federal white-collar stuff, and then drug trafficking, really, if you would hit them on each one, maybe you can get them 30 years in prison. They're not going to sentence the guy to 30 years. And my proof is, I just talked about this, a parallel case in Chicago. This is on the other side of the border. This was northern Indiana, this case, which, by the way, has become a war zone, Lake County, um, you know, the areas around Gary, Indiana, because of the outgrowth of Chicago. Um, but this other case was prosecuted in the Northern District of Illinois, and I point to it. This guy had something like 15 firearms charges plus drug trafficking. And the judge said in that case, like, again, this is the type of guy that's, re- that's responsible for so much death in Chicago. But at the end of the day, it's more abstract. There was no particular murder that they could nail this guy with that they knew he committed. And this guy also was a LaRosa Nation guy. He was a gangbanger. You know what? They, they sentenced him to nine years. It wasn't that long. And that's under current law that they're calling draconian. They don't over-sentence any of these people. If anything, they're under sentence. This guy they knew committed two murders or suspected in the third one. He was a tie. Like, that's when they're like, then we're going to throw the book at you. That's what the mandatories are there for. We have all the safety valves that the ones that are low-level first time, they don't get these sentences. It's a lie. And nowadays, the federal prosecutors, prosecutors don't have the resources or the willpower or because there's such a stigma against over-prosecuting. They're not going to go after them. This is the big lie. This is the merging of the drug crisis, murder, urban warfare, immigration, understanding the federal, federal system as distinct from the state system. Look. There's, there might be some philosophical disagreement on approach to criminal justice between me and some, some other people. But what's happening now is we're not even talking to each other. We're talking in different universes. They're describing a universe that doesn't exist in the federal system. And that's why they had to cleverly write this bill in a way to ensure as many people get the leniencies as possible because they couldn't target the lower level people because they're not locked up for that long, if at all. They're not in the federal system. Which brings me to the the next point. There's a lot of things you need to know about this bill. I don't even have the time 
to get into them. I, I, I just don't have the time to get into all the provisions, but this is really, really bad. So I'm here to, first of all, I want to apologize to you guys um, if I misled you a little bit. I gave, when I was critiquing this bill, I gave proponents and drafters of this bill too much credit. Because I wanted to be careful that any assertion allegation I threw was airtight. So I kind of lowballed my accusations. I always knew the bill. I I said this before. Once you really break this down, it's going to be worse than you think. But so part of the argument I gave is that, you know, they say if you're designated as low level, then you're eligible for early time release credits. And, you know, I, I kept proving to you how all these people that are really high level in their mind, they're low level. And it's a true talking point. And this case of Sergio Robos is a perfect example. See, if you look at the letter of the conviction, this guy would be eligible under this bill. This guy could get three years. This guy would be eligible for all the safety valves, not just mandatory reductions in mandatory sentencing. That's for sure. But to avoid the mandatories altogether, plus all the early release. That's what I'm saying. I mean, most of the guys they nail are actually on even more substantial gun and drug trafficking charges. They didn't even nail him on guns. They, they, again, they had the evidence that he used guns in furtherance of drug trafficking, but they didn't convict him on that. He pled down. That's very important to know. A lot of the guys in there, even the ones Obama let out, Obama let out a whole bunch that were convicted on using firearms in furtherance of drug trafficking. This guy wasn't even convicted. He would be eligible for all this stuff in the bill. So that's been our point until now. But I'm here to tell you that we misread the bill or we didn't miss it. We missed a point. This bill has an avenue to offer the early release to everyone, including those that even they are willing to designate as medium and high level offenders or high risk individuals. Because here's the dirty little secret. On page 41 of the bill, so when it describes the criteria for these programs' eligibility, and again, as we've noted many times, the programs are BS. They're not defined at all in statute. Um, it is unbelievable, by the way. I mean, the more, the more I read this bill, it is unbelievable. I mean, I, I just I just can't believe it. Productive activities. It could be anything. Anything. And they write it that way on purpose. Literally, there's dog grooming programs in some prisons. So if you engage in that, you now have early time credits. It doesn't matter. You could have been the worst drug trafficker. You could have, especially on previous convictions in the state system or prior federal charges after you already got out, you could have been a rapist. You could have been a murderer. It doesn't matter. You are eligible. It adds another subsection. If you're reading along with me, you'll see D1, and then there's two, page 41 of the bill. Then it says the word 
Or, or has been had a petition to be transferred to pre-release custody or supervised release, and I'll get to that in a minute, approved by the warden of the prison after the warden's determination that the prisoner would not be dangerous to society, yada, yada, and it goes through that. Um, it gives complete discretion to the to BOP to give guidance to prison wardens to sign off even on high level. The use of the word or in statute is so important because or is a complete parallel and independent avenue for whatever you're doing in statute. All the criterion that underpin the first avenue don't apply to avenue two if you write or unless you explicitly write it in. So they're either low risk or so low risk is automatically if if the macro assessment so let's say the you know top management you know doj has to go through all them and and that's a whole nother thing we talk about within 180 days they have to go through 180,000 prisoners it's unworkable it's insane to have them do that um okay so designated as low risk let's say this guy is like the prison warden's like dude i'm I'm telling you like no this guy's really bad you can't let him out um into home confinement they'll um no there's nothing he can do about that he cannot stop it but if they're medium or high risk, then it's subject to his discretion. But don't tell me they're not eligible. Yes, they are. And what's amazing is if you look at, if you go to firststepact.com, this is their website, the Goebbels crap uh, um, propaganda, they actually write availability of pre-release custody. And when they talk about it, they're, the final sentence, they say it. So it's not like a drafting error or something, you know, where sometimes you do have that, you know, just oversight of something that if you, you know, you just weren't careful, you didn't realize the consequences. They actually say, even for those who are not designated as lower minimum risk, the First Step Act provides a pathway to petition for pre-release custody. Notice the clever use of the word or. Let me compound or on top of or on top of or. I'm going to show you the most brilliant drafting of legislation that these guys did. The use of the word or three times stacked on top of each other and the outcome it creates. So again, you're either low risk, designated as low risk, or even if you're high risk, the prison warden could sign off on early release. Now, there's another or you noticed in there. Very interesting. So at its core, a lot of these a-holes are saying, Well, Daniel, thought up. The bill doesn't release anyone. So what they kind of mean by that is that um, they're saying, well, it's pre-release custody, which means that they could spend, again, it's 15 days for every 30 days. So that's that's a third off the sentence into home confinement or halfway house. Okay? Home confinement or halfway house. Now, we've already explained that home confinement is a joke. Home confinement's a joke. There's so many people have committed murder. We just had that in Baltimore. Someone killed a cop out of home confinement. Um, People think that there's a cop monitoring it every second. They don't have the resources. Plug into this. Now, you already have home confinement programs in the federal state system. You have that. But plug into that. this now a mandate that tens of thousands of people 
get home confinement, and they get it for a very substantial, not the last six months of the sentence under current policy, but it could be up to a third of their sentence. So a guy, you know, serving 20 years in prison could be six years. Six years in there. There's no way they have it. As BOP said in their own memos, the cost per diem, if you want to have proper security, is three times as much as in a fixed institution. And because the crafters of this bill need the talking point of saving money, they certainly can't spend more money, so they don't appropriate the money, so it's a joke. It's essentially being released. But let's go with that for a minute. Let's add to it. They use, in the Senate version, they added the word or very cleverly. So if you yada yada fulfill these programs and you get this, this, so then prisoners who successfully participate in recidivism reduction programs um, shall be applied toward time in pre-release custody or supervised release. Supervised release is none other than parole. (laughs) That's what every end of sentence, the end of your sentence, you're on parole. They just have this a third of the way into your sentence. That's early release. <laughs> like that's all early release. I mean, like any early release program, you're going to have parole. I mean, it's, it's super. You have a parole officer overseeing you. That's early release, folks. That's the big lie here. Which leads me to the third thing. Notice it said, and this we spoke about. I just want to put it all together to you so you remember this. This paragraph uh, by prisoners who successfully participate in recidivism reduction programs or productive activities. So anyone – now, the recidivism programs are undefined enough. It's, it's a pretty much a joke. But um, – or productive activities. That's anyone. That's anything. Anyone who does anything is eligible, whether they're low risk or high risk. If the prison warden signs off. Now, you have to understand the politics of this bill. This is right now, I did technical reading with you. Now I'm gonna do politics with you. I always said you in order to understand policy, you have to understand politics. Or understand politics, you have to, have to understand policy. You have to understand where a bill is coming from, where it's headed, who are the vendors and players that will be responsible for implementation, where the political, cultural, and legal pressures will be once you write a statute in a certain way. You can't look at it in a vacuum like Amelia Bedelia. And we always apply this to immigration. For example, whenever they have these amnesty bills, they'll say, well, it's only these guys in these situations. But we always say that it's very loosely defined. It's broad discretion. And if you understand the pressures that are brought to bear that are bringing to bear this much pressure to have this much amnesty, those are the same pressures that are going to A, politically, and B, legally sometimes bring to court to say, no, this guy should get the amnesty. This guy also should be eligible. This guy should be eligible, right? The same people that are pushing this bill but lying, no, 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 don't worry. The bad guys won't get it. They're the ones who want them out, and they're the ones that are going to be pressuring BOP and DOJ for every single person. They're going to be litigating their status or pressurizing them in the public. This guy needs to get it. This guy needs to get it. So you're right. Theoretically, BOP still has discretion not to release some of these people. But are they really going to do that? And this is under the Trump administration. Picture a Kamala Harris run DOJ, which when you're running a statute, you have to remember Trump is not going to be president forever. Unless you change the statute. 
And this is why you got to be careful with this. If you understand the one directional pressure, not just from Soros and the left, but every conservative group, Glenn Beck, my new, you know, very loosely related partner. And again, he's just one show host of one part of the network, just like everyone else is. And and he's a good guy. I agree with him on most things. I'm just saying, I, I, I could promise you he's not aware of this. And, you know, I'm going to obviously try to make him aware of this. Anyway, this is the discussion you will never hear because we discussed the fine print on policy. We discussed the fine print on politics. And, and, and again, one other thing, these guys say, so another thing, stop lying. Sex offenders aren't going to be let out. Now, you have to understand, a lot of the people who are, again, this you have to understand federal prisons. Now, let me tell you this. I'm the first to tell you, I agree with libertarians that we have too many federal crimes. A, some of them are BS. And even the ones that are serious crimes, you know, okay, the state should be handling it, just like the state should and does handle run-of-the-mill homicide. I mean, sex offenses are bad, but, you know, um, why, why don't you devolve it to the state? Now, as a baseline, just understand that drugs and a lot of this stuff, a lot of it is because, again, Reagan saw that states were falling down and there was a public safety concern. And drugs, especially if you understand, it's all related to, it's all external. And I, I think there's a very strong case to be made. And I think you guys certainly understand that in this era, that it's very much a national security, transnational cross-border issue. So it makes sense uh, to a large degree to, to federalize it. But, you know, let, let's just say sex offenders, okay, why, why should be federalized? Let's just agree to that point for a minute. But the reality is it is federalized as it stands now. And this bill doesn't prospectively devolve it. It doesn't devolve anything to the state. It's not reform. There's nothing reform-minded. It's just straight-up jailbreak, straight-up leniency, straight-up sentencing reduction and an early release. So remember, they cleverly wrote the bill where there's numerous federal offenses, and they, they as a baseline, everyone gets the credits unless you're one of the enumerated exceptions, not meaning everyone's not eligible unless you're targeted for release. And the reason they couldn't do that is because they would have to, it would expose the fact that there's very few low level first time people sitting there in federal prison for a long time. They really don't exist. So they had to obfuscate. So you have all sorts of people, failure to register as a sex offender is a federal crime, importing aliens for prostitution is a federal crime, assault with intent to commit rape, aggravated sexual abuse, sexual abuse, abusive sexual contact, um, and other offenses. That is a federal offense. Those people are eligible. So now, again, the big lie is they say, well, Daniel, they're never going to designate them as low risk. No, no, no. Now, we just proved even high risk could get it with a prison warden signing off. But, but, not to get too much into the details here, here's the important thing about that. Um, Senator Kennedy's office sent me an email correspondence that they had with the top DOJ officials, assistant attorney generals working with BOP and the lawyers to parse out this bill. And they said that under current... So now, they have designations under current law, not in order to get time credits, but in order to know where to place them. Max security, medium security, low security. So they have to see you know, who these people are. Now, again, it's not 100% synonymous, but just so you know, 72% of sex offenders are currently classified as low security. 
There's currently 15,526 inmates serving for sex offenses. That's roughly 10%. That's a large chunk. That's not an anomaly. 10% of the entire federal population, prison population, is because of sex offenses. 72% are classified as low-security inmates. Now, you could sit and parse out, well, it could be low security, but because you're like, you're not like, man, there's like a prison break, but you're still maybe high level to recidivate. You could parse that out, but just know that that is not a given. And, you know, why write a bill that leaves this wide open, especially if you have a Democrat administration or even a Republican administration when most of them think like Mike Lee and not Jeff Sessions on this. So that's the story with this issue. It's a lot more to say that juvenile, all these juvenile leniencies that prevent local law enforcement from properly confining them. There's a lot of these so-called do-gooder provisions I didn't even get to that are very problematic. Very problematic. There's also um, this bill increases. So you know, there's 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 the early re- there's the home confinement or supervised release credits for these recidivism programs, and then there's the, just the general good behavior. We have good behavior credits under current law. They increase them from 47 to 54 days a year. So like, okay, that's an extra seven days a year. So you know, if you're there for 10 years, it's 70 um, days, but. And this is totally releases them. Just just another provision, just so you know, this bill allows them to apply them to the years you're sentenced, not the years you're serving. So the irony is, look at how the two provisions co- converge on each other. They have a bunch of early release provisions where you're not going to... So let's say you're sentenced to 20 years. But you get into home confinement after 14 years. So six years, you're not serving in BOP. Under current law, you're only eligible for the good time credits, good behavior credits, for the years you actually serve in prison. Right? I mean, if you're not serving, you don't get it. It doesn't count if you're in a halfway house. Now they'll be able to use that to reduce even the amount of time they're in the halfway house or home confinement. I'm not kidding you. When it comes to the end of the line, they're going to take a look at year 20, year 19, year 18, wherever it's going to meet, where you're going to where it's going to add up to a critical mass where you're released. And they're going to get credit for good behavior. Uh, literally, it's added up time they're never going to serve because they're already in home confinement, but it's going to then be used. So let's say you get 54 days of year 20, 54 years. So let's say those six years that that you would have otherwise served, but now under this bill, you won't. You're still, because you're sentenced to those years, you're going to get credit for six years worth of 54 days. I mean, I can't do the math while I'm on air, air but... um. What is that? That's at least a full calendar year. So that's going to reduce it by another year of what you even have to do in home confinement. So in other words, I have to think about how those two work rather than after 14 years be eligible for home confinement. It could be after 13 years now you're eligible for home confinement because they're going to prorate all that. 
Now you might be asking, well, what do you mean? But like, even if you believe in good time credits, but how do you have good time behavior when you didn't have any behavior? You weren't there. Well, yeah. And it's even worse than that. You could have been a Everyone is eligible. Every single person. This provision, the 54 days, is not for – there's no exceptions to that. It's, it's the recidivism early release credit programs, but not the good behavior. If you have good behavior, you could be a rapist, a murderer, a, the, the word El Chapo, whatever you are. Although I think El Chapo anyway would be eligible for the other programs too based on what he'll be convicted on. That's the thing here. This is unbelievable. They're all eligible for that. All eligible for the prorated, retroactive, mythical good behavior, even if they had bad behavior. See, if you have bad behavior, we could suspend your credits, although they make it a lot harder. As I said on this bill, it's almost like they put the burden of proof on the Bureau of Prisons. They make it a lot harder for them, and there's going to be a lot of litigation on that. That's a whole other thing, taking away good behavior credits. But what's, what's amazing is you could have a guy that literally leads a prison uprising. Okay, so they suspend it for him. But then if he stops, then they continue the good time credits. <laughs> that guy is going to get the good time credits for subsequent years. He's never in there, even though he once, we know he led a prison uprising. This is not by accident, folks. These are the people driving the bill, Soros and the Cokes, and shame on everyone else. Shame on them for signing on to this. So anyway, that's that. Um, I hope to move away from this issue because I hope we defeat it, but I will warn you that even if we defeat this iteration, this movement is not going away. Facts are not going to drive out the movement because it's too big to fail. We need the public to understand what they are doing. We need the public to know that this is how they thrive by shooting behind the bushes. They have this movement and they're open about all their stuff. Too many people in prison. We need to release them because no one's really paying attention. Like, hey, do you know Bob Smith? Hey, my friend in the street. Hey, Bob, do you, do you know that this is what they're doing? No, you're not going to hear about this on the news anywhere. No one's talking about, you know, the criminal justice system. It's not a big issue. It, it should be, but it's not. And they, you know, in their nerdy circles, they openly discuss their agenda. But the minute you shed light on it, they're like, no, no, we're not doing this. And that's why we need to just get them, you know, drag them out from behind the bushes right now, right here, right now, have a fundamental debate, not just on the provisions of this bill, but philosophically why their entire movement is built on an erroneous premise, a series of erroneous premises, and at a time when we need to be doing just the opposite. Immigration, drugs, all this stuff comes together, national security, which brings me back to immigration. We really don't have enough time uh, you know, darn it, as I wanted, I'm really upset. Sorry I took up so much time on this. But there's a lot more information of more MS-13 people, more diseases in this, being brought into this cartel uh, w- with this uh, caravan, which, by the way, I warned about the problem of diseases because um, Guatemala has like 100 times more, uh, a higher rate of, t- of tuberculosis than, than America. And a lot of these people um, remember the ones we catch, presumably we do health screenings on, but the ones we don't, which is about half of them, and they're enabled by the ones we do catch, so they're not screened at all. How many of them do you think 
don't have vaccinations and things like that. That is a big problem. Um, let's just go through lightning round a couple things. Uh, CBP in San Diego announced that they arrested three people caught crossing illegal, illegally at the San Cedro uh, border crossing on Saturday night. And uh, one was a convicted murderer who, murder who served 16 years in Honduran prison. Again, these are the people that we often catch, and they're in the federal system right now. So, again, tying together immigration and jailbreak. Let's see what else we have. Again, numerous uh, MS-13 members have been caught. Um, and, you know, we have a daily caravan continuing to come every single day. Donald Trump could talk about this. You know, the 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 death of the President Bush should not stop us from dealing with this. He needs to give a televised address. I argued even before Congress, but at least do it from the Oval Office. Lay all this out, the public safety, the welfare. That's a whole other thing we don't have time. Um, CIS came out with a new study today, 60 3% of all non-citizen households, that includes even legal immigrants, access welfare programs. That is divorced from our most foundational principles on immigration since our colonial times. The public charge laws um, is a very big problem. Speak about the forgotten American, as I mentioned last week. Speak about that. Then you have this Massachusetts case. Four of the six de- defendants in this case are illegals. They have MS-13 tattoos. And um, at least two of the six defendants have felony records. At least two of the six defendants were previously in immigration custody, but were, were released and went on to commit murder. Again, tying together immigration and and um, jailbreak. The two come together on a federal level. 38.5% of those who are in Marshall's custody are foreign nationals. If you would break down the number of drug traffickers, meaning the percentage of foreign nationals in Marshall's custody for drug trafficking, I'm sure that's a lot higher than 38%. And anyway... A lot of them are MS-13, Latina Kings, La Raza Nation, Texas Tango, these type of uh, gangbangers. And we need interior enforcement. We have judges letting these people go, even without writing a jailbreak statute. This needs to be dealt with. Needs to be dealt with big time. Um, Just trying to, again, go just clear the decks of a couple things I wanted to get to, but don't really have enough time to to delve into um gosh there's so much going on with mattis and afghanistan this doubling down on stupidity based on our friday show if you listen to our friday show i know we got a lot of tremendous feedback from that it was a really good show lots of information um it's just a disgrace what's going on with that we don't have time to get to it i'll have to deal with that you know tomorrow wednesday um do, 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 do. Let's just see. I just want to, before we sign off here, there's a lot of important things. You know, speaking of judges and immigration, very interesting. Washington Post article. 
analysis. Deportation may be worse than jail. A court just ruled. Why that's a big deal. A lot of you might remember that in Sessions v. DeMaia, and again, this ties back into jailbreak as well. Notice how it all comes back together. Every facet of federal criminal justice, immigration is an 800-pound gorilla in the room. Gorsuch signed on to a philosophy in oral arguments and in his concurrence in Sessions v. DeMaia, and certainly the other four liberals, uprooting one of the most foundational legal doctrines since our founding. And that is that deportation or any immigration action is not punishment in the sense of like imprisonment or the death penalty. It's merely a logistical extension of our sovereignty. In other words, if you break into my house Either, you know, without my consent, or I invite you in consensually to meet, and then you start like destroying things and abusing my kids, and I push you out my door. I say, "Get out." Am I punishing you? No, I'm not I'm punishing you. You don't. You only have the right to be here at my pleasure. So I'm merely enforcing my sovereignty. Now, if I don't like what you're doing, and I grab you and beat you up and then lock you in, in the attic. Well, that so then I don't have a right to do that because that's punishment, and I can't punish without the requisite due process and legalities of that, right? So the important thing is, we said this all along, is part of why the drug crisis came about and why we could solve it so easily is because it's mainly driven by foreign nationals. And these people, you don't have to land a conviction. Often, even before landing conviction, it's hard to even hold them initially when you arrest them on the street because you have to have probable cause standard even to hold them. The good thing about these people is you don't have to have probable cause. You just deport them. If it's an American citizen, then you can't deport, and it has to be only punishment. Here, you just deport them. More and more, the courts, certainly based on DeMaia, are now saying, no. Deportation is a punishment, maybe even worse than six months in jail time, because here you're permanently separating them from America, from being here. And therefore, it requires not just all the constitutional due due process, but the hundred or so years of, or 70 or so years of BS due process that we added on since the Warren era courts. And continues to be added on every, every day. That's what this New York Supreme Court did. And they they actually said that deportation is worse than imprisonment. And that's not just a philosophical question. That's a legal point of grave consequence. It will essentially denude us of all our tools of of doing anything. Um, Thank you, Gorsuch. Thank you. That's this Demaya thing is a very big problem, which brings me back to here. Even Lindsey Graham signed on to the Hatch Cotton bill to fix this crime of violence problem where we say they have due process. They have to have advanced notice of exactly the type of crimes that are deportable or in the case of a citizen, the type of thing that will trigger the mandatories of a career criminal. We need to fix that. See, part of the problem, this bill aggravates 
the existing problem with the Johnson and DeMaia decisions with aggravated felony because it takes people that have a whole litany of, of cr- criminal history, but a lot of them, the courts are saying, no, you can't define that as aggravated felony unless you explicitly write that in statute. So all those bad guys are now eligible for all these leniencies and all the um, safety valves that avoid the mandatories because the bill is written in a way that says, well, unless you're you know, a violent felon. And the courts have redefined what violent felon means until we fix that. So we're going to talk about that in the coming days, how DOJ is proposing a bill, true, true criminal justice reform, that will actually really deal with this. And you know, I just want to note, I'm going to link to in show notes, meth is on the rise in Iowa, Nebraska. Why is this important? Iowa, Nebraska were not big drug overdose states. And they're not big prescribing states. Again, because the two have nothing to do with each other. It's not a prescription problem. And meth is not an opioid. It's a generic drug trafficking problem that all these sanctuary cities cropping up, even in the Midwest and Minneapolis and near Iowa and um, even even, places like Omaha are getting very weak. It's inviting them in. And again, that's how more people get in the federal system. You will not hear the fine print anywhere else. You will not hear the juxtaposition anywhere else. That is my commitment to you. We're going to keep doing this. And thank God we're going to have a bigger platform to do this. And by the way, in case any of you are worried about certain people's views about jailbreak, just know that as we're talking, my buddy John Miller, who's putting out amazing videos, he's our White House correspondent for CRTV, which will now be Blaze Media. Under the Blaze's Twitter Twitter handle, his video blasting jailbreak and echoing a lot of the research we've done will be under that Blaze Twitter handle blasted out today. So just know, in case he thought, you know, we're going away, not at all. We just got a higher caliber rifle, and we're going to fire it with all the bullets we have. Thank you all for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 